Turn in your, in your Bible, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want to encourage you this morning. Um, Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. It matters the way, uh, the way in which you listen to God's word. So take heed how you hear. I want to encourage you that this entire time is where you're, don't, don't be a passive listener. Don't be a lean back listener. But the scripture says, incline your ears, lean in, hear God's word. And the entire time that we're meditating on the word of God, we're thinking about these truths, studying it together, I want to encourage you to be praying to the Lord this entire time. So little silent prayers going up all over the room. God, bring conviction on my soul where I need it. God, help me see Christ. Lord, help me worship. Just a constant um, flow of prayer all across this room as we're reading God's word and studying it together. Let's pray now. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you so much that we that we get to have the scripture. Lord, we love your word. God, we're fools, but your word is full of wisdom. It's a light to our path. God, I pray that you would light up our path with your word. Help us, Lord, to see and give us humble Humble hearts, Lord, to incline our ears, to lean in, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. God, help us. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming through Deuteronomy together. We've come to the last of the Ten Commandments. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we'll read verse 21. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I think the plain sense here is not hard to see. Don't covet. That's the command. Don't covet. Let's try to define covetousness. What does it mean to covet? Well, we know that it has something to do with desire. Did you see that in the verse? It says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't desire. It uses the word desire right there in the verse that we just read. So it has something to do with desire. Covetousness has something to do with unholy desires. John Piper defines it like this, it's desiring something so much that you lose contentment in God. Now hopefully, God willing, we'll see this in just a moment, that these, are, these work hand in hand, that to not covet is to be content, to be content is to not covet, that they go, they go hand in hand. And this in this definition, desiring something so much that you lose contentment in God. There's a brother that I heard he, he would always define it to his kids by saying, it's wanting something so bad that it makes you fussy. And that's not just for kids, is it? Wanting something so bad that it makes you complain. And in that complaining and in that grumbling or in that frustration or in that anger and that impatience, there's covetousness that's at the root of it. Desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. What are things that can be objects of covetousness? Well, in our verse, we've got our neighbor's spouse. We've got houses, possessions. Deut Deuteronomy 7.25 says silver and gold. 
There's a phrase in the New Testament that's essentially getting to the heart of this. It says, the love of money, silver and gold, the love of money. These are things that can be coveted. Jesus rebuked his disciples for their covetousness of a high-ranking position. Let us be first in the kingdom. They were covetous in the position that they wanted. And in our verse, if you notice the way it ends, it mentions spouse, houses, animals, possessions, etc. It mentions these things, and at the very end, what does it say? It says, or anything. You see it in verse 21? Or anything that is your neighbor. So anything can be an object of unholy desires. Therefore, brothers and sisters, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts from covetousness. Now I want us to zoom out for a minute and I want us to think about an, sort of an overview of the Ten Commandments. In other words, I want us to get at how does the Tenth Commandment sort of fit into the whole? Or what does the Tenth Commandment, don't covet, what does it teach us about the whole of the Ten Commandments? Now many people have talked about the Ten Commandments as a standard that is upward outward and inward upward the first four commandments are vertical directly you and God no gods before him don't blaspheme his name etc so these upward commands numbers one two three and four and then as we've talked about five through ten it, it goes outward of the way you deal with your fellow man the way you deal with your neighbor so upward outward but here's what we know, the Ten Commandments are also inward. It's an inward standard. And there's nothing that makes us more clear than the Tenth Commandment, right? So think about the Tenth Commandment. Don't covet. That's an internal standard, not merely external standards that God's laying on us, but something inside you, something that you can see stealing, but can you see the covetousness? And God demands something inside you. It's an internal standard standard think about the verse we just read it says don't covet your neighbor's wife is this is it again telling us don't commit adultery we've already got that command don't commit adultery and yet here it says don't covet your neighbor's wife what, what, what does it mean it means not only don't commit adultery don't even desire it don't even want it it goes on to say don't don't covet your neighbor's possessions is that saying don't steal no, it's deeper than that. Not only don't steal, don't even want it. Don't even desire it. It's getting at the, it's, this is the sovereign God putting his finger on our thought lives, our emotions, our feelings, our desires. It's getting right down into not just external standards, but into that internal standard of your desires. Now, somebody might ask, does God have the right to do that? And, of course, the answer is absolutely yes, he does. Somebody might say, but I don't have any control. I, I can't control my desires. I can't control how I feel. Listen, that does not excuse you from this. It doesn't excuse you from this. God reigns, reigns supreme even over your feelings, your emotions, your desires. And this last commandment gets right down into that. God puts his, his finger on it. So God's standard is not merely external, but internal. Now we see this really clearly when Jesus deals with the law in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? You go read the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, you've heard, it say, you've heard it said, don't murder, but here's what I'm saying to you. If you're angry at your brother without cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. That's on the inside. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you, lust at, if you, look, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's getting on the inside. There's these internal standards of God, and the Ten Commandments has that. And there's, there's no place that's more clear than here in this Tenth Commandment. Now, knowing that, knowing that truth, that there's a, not just an external standard, but an internal standard, it really does. The Ten Commandment helps us see how impossible it is for sinners like us 
to uphold this standard of God. Now think about the Apostle Paul. You remember what he was. Paul was a moralistic, commandment-keeping Pharisee of all Pharisees. And yet, what's the command that got him? What's the command that wrecked his soul? Listen to what he says about it in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He says, that tenth commandment, that's the one that wrecked my soul. That's the one that got down into my desires and took this moralistic Pharisee, a Pharisee man, and showed me my heart. He says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Like the rich young ruler, if you remember him, Paul thought he was doing pretty good at keeping God's law, at keeping the commandments. But then the tenth commandment exposed him at the level of desire. It wrecked him. In this commandment, he saw clearly the desires of his heart, the wicked desires of his heart, and his need for a new heart. And the 10th commandment does this in a special way. Now, the 10th commandment also, it also has a way of not just exposing our sin, but exalting Christ. The 10th commandment exalts the perfect righteousness of Christ. Think about it. Jesus obeyed the 10th commandment perfectly. Jesus had perfect righteousness, not, not only in his outward actions, but in his desires. On the desire level, Jesus had perfect, pure righteousness. In his emotions, in his feelings, in his desires, on the inside, that internal standard, perfect, perfect, pure righteousness of Jesus the Christ. Now, like Paul, all of us are exposed by the 10th commandment. A really good phrase for this would be Genesis 6-5, which says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And listen, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Man, the 10th commandment exposes that. The intentions of our heart. We're guilty there before we even get to the external sin. So it exposes us like it exposed Paul. And yet Jesus is exalt, exalted by it. The Father saw that the goodness of Jesus was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only righteous continually. Now that thought that, that the Ten Commandments, God's law is this internal standard really seen in the 10th commandment that exposes us but exalts the Lord Jesus. Man, that, it really makes that great exchange from 2 Corinthians 5.21 all the more glorious, doesn't it? You know 2 Corinthians 5.21? God made him who knew no sin. The perfect, sinless, righteous one. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This great exchange that He takes our sin onto Himself, even all the, the, the sins at the desire level, He takes it onto Himself and He's crucified in our place. He absorbs the wrath of God. And not only that, to those who believe in Christ, He gives us His perfect righteousness. We're exposed by don't covet. Jesus is exalted by don't covet. And man, the gospel is glorious that he exchanges our sin for his righteousness to all who would put their trust in Christ. It's a glorious thing. Now, another thing about how the, ten commandment, how the tenth commandment fits into the whole 
We should think about the Ten Commandments of have, as having bookends. I wonder if you've ever thought of it that way, that there's bookends here. Think about it. At the beginning of the ten, we have a condemnation of idolatry. No other gods before me. No images. A condemnation of idolatry at the beginning. And at the end of the ten, in the tenth commandment, we have a condemnation of covetousness, which is idolatry. So we've got a condemning of idolatry on both ends. Now listen, I'm not making that up. Listen to God's word. Colossians 3, 5 says, covetousness, which is idolatry. That's a phrase from the Bible, not me. Covetousness, which is idolatry. I want it. I desire it. I want it. I desire it. And it's a desire that overtakes desire for God or, or even competes with a desire for God. You have an idol. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 says the same thing. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, it says here, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Covetousness, which is idolatry. So the bookends of the Ten Commandments, a condemnation of idolatry and a condemnation of covetousness, which is idolatry. So if you thought you survived the first com commandment, I got bad news. You didn't survive it. I'm not an idolater. I'm sure Paul thought that. I'm not an idolater. Those pagans, they have idols, but Paul, but Paul the apostle thought, but I'm not an idolater until the 10th commandment came along and wrecked his soul. The 10th commandment exposes us. To covet things in this life means you are not coveting God. You have idols. To grumble and complain is to covet something you don't have. You have idols. To be discontent, to be discontent is rooted in covetous desire. You have idols. And in the, and in the Ten Commandments, we have a condemnation of idolatry. We are not safe. Brothers and sisters, hear me out on this. This is a lesson to learn from the Tenth Commandment and how it fits into the Ten. We are not safe from idolatry because we think right thoughts about God. As in, you, you think He is that God of the Bible. You, 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 you have right doctrine about God. You're not safe from idolatry just because you have right doctrine or you have right thoughts. You need those right thoughts. You need that right doctrine. But you're not safe from idolatry because you can, you can have idolatry at the level of desire. The call is that you desire God, that you long for God in such a way that it kills covetousness. And when we don't, it's idolatry. You're not safe from idolatry just because you think right things about God. You're called to desire God. Which gets me to a question. I got a few questions of this commandment I want us to think about and answer together. The first question is this. How should we feel warned by the Tenth Commandment? How should we feel warned, the warning of the Tenth Commandment? Now, Genesis chapter 4 says this, sin, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to overtake you. That's warning language. Sin's crouching at the door. Its desire is to overtake you. We need to be warned. Covetousness is a root sin. It's at the level of desire. It means it's not always obvious. It's oftentimes subtle and hidden in the heart, and you don't realize it. But listen, we need to be warned about this thing. It might not hit you in the face like robbery or adultery or murder, but listen, you need to be warned by it. And I say that because the Scripture warns us of the danger. The danger not just of unholy actions, but the danger of unholy desires. My desire is to wake us up 
to wake us up to the warning you should feel from the 10th commandment. So continue to pray, and let me try to wake us up to that. Maybe what Jesus said will help. Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 says, Take heed, take heed, and beware of covetousness. Reference to the 10th commandment. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. I had a man tell me one time that the way he views life is that he who dies with the most stuff wins. That's the exact opposite of what this says. Take heed. Beware of covetousness. One's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Jesus, right after that, gives a parable of a rich man that had all this stuff. And he thought to himself, oh man, I've got all this stuff. I've got, I've got all these goods, but I've got nowhere to store my goods. What do I do? I'll build bigger barns and bigger homes. I'll build bigger stuff. And I'll eat and I'll drink and I'll be merry. And here's the word that comes from God. And God said to him, fool. You're a fool. This day your soul is going to be required of you. And then who will all those things be? Do you feel the danger of this covetousness? Take heed, beware of covetousness, Jesus says. We need to feel warned by it. Proverbs 119, it says that this covetousness takes away the life of its possessor. Are you greedy? Do you covet? Do you have these unholy desires? Are they there? If you do, listen, it takes away the life of its owner. It's like spiritual suicide to let that covetousness linger. You got to deal with it. It's dangerous. I want to. I want you to listen to these phrases. I know you've you've read this passage before, but slow down and just listen to the phrases attached to the love of money or covetousness. Listen to the phrases in First Timothy chapter six. I'm going to start in verse eight. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich. He's not talking about just rich people. He's talking about those that desire to be rich. You can be poor as dirt and covetous. Okay? Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation. Feel the warning here. And into a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. They fall into a snare, it says, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you feel the warning of that language? That this desire to be rich plunged into destruction. Harm, ruin, it's a trap, it's a snare. It keeps going. For the love of money, desire to be rich, love of money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice it doesn't even say that that love for money pierced them. No, it says they're piercing themselves. They are stabbing themselves by a love for money. They're stabbing themselves by this covetousness. It's spiritual suicide. Feel the warning of this. Thomas Watson, he spoke about, a, he gave the illustration of a covetous man is like a ferry boat captain. Every time a new passenger comes on, he gets more money. Another passenger comes on, he gets more money. And he just keeps bringing more and more and more passengers on until he actually sinks the boat. It's subtle, but it's dangerous. God made an, an example of Achan, so that we would feel the weight of covetousness and not shrug this off like, yeah, yeah, I got that, move on. No, feel the weight of it. Do you know what happened to Achan? His sin brought about destruction in the whole nation amongst the people of God. His sin brought about destruction in his family. What was his sin? What was Achan's sin? Well, Achan confesses it. In Joshua 7.20, he says this, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. Achan says, I saw among the spoil 
a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. It all started with an unholy desire. And look at the destruction that came. Let Achan's life plead with you. Let Achan plead with you from the pits of hell. Listen, it's not worth it. Was it worth it? He saw it. He wanted it. The covetous. He let it take him over. Was it worth it? Let him plead with you from hell. It's not worth it. No amount of money, no amount of earthly pleasure is worth it. Feel the weight of the warning. Be warned by David's sin with Bathsheba. Do you remember David's sin with Bathsheba? He had lost his zeal for the battle. People of God are fighting. He's up on a roof. He lost his zeal for the battle. His affections for God had waned. And the human heart, when that happens, will not just sit in a neutral position. When love for God grows cold, the human heart doesn't sit in neutral. A vacuum is created and desire is going to be there. And in his case, a sin came. The covetous desire. He saw with his eyes. He coveted and he rebelled against God. And it brought destruction to the nation, to the people of God, to himself and even to his family. Now the Apostle John warns us, he uses a different phrase. He calls this covetousness the love of the world. Love of the world. Feel warned by his words. Listen to 1 John 2 verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. If anyone, listen to this warning, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the things my flesh wants, the, the desires of the eyes, the things my eyes want, the pride of life, the, thing my, the things my ego wants, I desire it, I covet it. He says, it's not from the Father. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And listen, the world's passing away. It's from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. Don't waste your life. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, please feel warned. I want us to feel the warning of the 10th commandment. Feel warned. Covetousness is a trap. We, we covet things that will never satisfy. We desire things that will never satisfy. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves money will not be satisfied with with money. Maybe you, maybe you covet something and you get it. Guess what? It doesn't satisfy, so you must covet more. And it's this unending cycle. It's a trap. It's a snare that you're in. And the only thing that can get you out of it is to desire something that will satisfy. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2 says this, Come, everyone who thirsts Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Listen to the question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Brothers and sisters, please feel the warning from the 10th commandment. This is not a small thing. This is, this is a destroyer of lives if you let it sit unchecked in your soul. Now, second question. I want us to answer the question, what are we being called to in the 10th commandment? So we've talked about that, that there's a negative and a positive side to these things, right? So the negative is don't steal, positive is be generous. 
You know, negative is don't murder. Positive is therefore value life. So what do we have here? What are we called to positively? What are we called to in the 10th commandment? And I believe the answer to that is contentment. Don't covet, but what? Be content. It's contentment. Be content. Jeremiah Burroughs, he wrote the rare jewel of Christian contentment. He defined contentment as this. That sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Paul said, I've learned in every circumstance, high or low, poor or rich, I've learned in every circumstance, he says in Philippians 4, to be content. Now, only a Christian, only a Christian can truly have this because contentment is to be satisfied with what you have from God because you have God. It's to be satisfied with what you have in Christ because you have Christ, you have God. That's what contentment is. And the 10th commandment calls us into this holy disposition. Not covetousness, but contentment. Listen to Fisher's Catechism. He says this, What is required in the 10th commandment? The 10th commandment requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Now this is clear from the, from the Bible. You remember, we just read 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you remember that? Right before he condemns desiring to be rich and the love of money, 1 Timothy 6, remember we read that? Right before he condemns those things, what, what does he say? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and clothing with these we shall be content. And then he warns about covetousness. Contentment. The Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, but rather, he, says, he goes on to say this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So here's the reality. Covetousness and contentment cannot coexist. Covetousness and Christian contentment cannot coexist. To covet is to be dissatisfied with what God has given you, discontentment. To be content in God is to be free of coveting, fully satisfied in Christ. Coveting and contentment cannot coexist. So, brothers and sisters, I want, you, I want to encourage you to think about that. What marks your life? As you do self-examination or the people that are closest to you, maybe your children, as they think about your life, what marks your life? Is it a holy contentment because you have Christ? Satisfied with His goodness. He's all that I need. Or is your life marked by covetousness? Always striving for the next thing that won't satisfy. I won't, I won't. I won't, to the neglect of my duties with Christ. Now, as you examine that, that brings us to the last question. And the last question I want to ask of this text is, how do we kill covetousness and obtain Christian contentment? If this is the call, don't covet. Be content. If that's the call of the Tenth Commandment, how do we do that as we look at our own souls? How do we kill that covetous heart and obtain Christian contentment in Christ? How do we do that? And it all hinges on desire for God. How do you kill covetousness in your heart? It all hinges on your desire for God. How do, how do you obtain contentment in your soul, Christian contentment in your soul? It all hinges on your desire for God. We kill covetousness by coveting God. 
As affections for God increase, the affections for the world decrease. Do you know this truth? Holy desires are what kill unholy desires. Do you understand this sort of thing? We obtain contentment by desiring God. When a Christian sees Christ and understands all that he has in Christ and longs for more of Christ, desires more of Christ, all the things of this world just seem to fade. They seem to fade away in importance. Now, that's not just a wise answer from me. I don't have any of that. But I have Hebrews 13, verse 5. Listen to these two things put side by side. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. That's the covetous side. Keep your life free from coveting. Keep your life free from the love of money. You got to fight for this. It's subtle. You got to keep your life free. Next phrase, listen. And be content with what you have. There they are. They're side by side. No covetousness. Keep your life free of covetousness and be content with what you have. What's the answer? How do I do something like this? Listen to the next phrase and make the connection. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I wonder if you caught that. Keep your life free from covetousness and the love of money. Keep you free. Uh, uh, have contentment. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. What do you mean? How do I be content with what I have? For Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Did you catch it? Be content with what you have. What do you mean? You have me. You have everything. You can lose it all. We just sang that. You can lose everything. And if you're in Christ, you have Christ. You've lost nothing. How do you kill covetousness and obtain Christian contentment? How do you do it? you got to see what you have in Christ and long for Him more. Holy desire for Christ kills unholy desires of covetousness and discontentment. Now the inverse is also true. The inverse of this is also true. When desire for God wanes, like it did with David on that roof. When love grows cold, when the affections, the longing for Christ, when it, did, when it decreases, it's a seedbed for covetousness, discontentment, and all manner of idolatry. Desire matters. We need to watch over our hearts. We need to watch over the affections, the longings, the desires of our hearts. This stuff matters. Do you see that? I put up on our uh, school board a riddle for the kids this week. And the, the riddle that I put up for the kids to try to solve, it said something like this. If you had access to the, the, uh, the greatest science laboratory that you could have access to and you got access to this science lab and there's a plastic bottle sitting there it's, it's open it's open empty plastic bottle there's air in it and I asked them how do you get the air out of that bottle how do you get the air out of that bottle and of course they're trying to figure it out what can I use from the science lab to get in there and extract how do I extract the air from that bottle, how do I do it? And some of you know the answer is simple. You just pour water into it. You don't extract the air by somehow, you don't, you don't get the air out of the bottle by somehow extracting the air out of it. You just pour water into it. How do I, how do I get the, that air of covetousness that's in my heart? How do I get it out? How do I get it out of there? What do I do? You have to Pour in the pure, glorious water of delight in Christ, satisfied in Christ, desire for Christ, longing for God. Pour that in and the, covetous, the, the covetousness dies. There's a guy named Thomas Chalmers, a, a famous preacher, early 1800s. 
And, and I love the title of what is said to be his most famous sermon he preached. The title was, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he argues for this same thing. That you got, you got covetousness, you got these unholy desires in you. What do, what do you do about it? You can't just extract it air out like air out of a bottle. But he argues for the expulsive power of a new affection. As affections for Christ rise, it expels the covetousness. It expels the unholy desires. Do you see how important it is to watch over your heart? What do you desire? What do you long for? It's important to watch over your heart. Now, we sing this truth. I thought about this last week. We sang this song. It says, come. Come find what the world cannot offer. Come and find your joy here, complete. And I love this line. Taste the living water, never thirst again. Taste the living water. If you just taste Christ, if you taste this, if you taste God, His goodness, taste the living water, you never thirst again. Rest here in His wondrous peace. Thomas Watson, another, another famous Thomas, he said, he said it like this, If we covet heaven more, we will covet the earth less. If we covet heaven more, we will covet earth less. Now he goes on to give an illustration, Thomas Watson, of if you're in the city, you're in this big city and you look up and you see all the big things all around you, it looks so massive, it looks so big, but he says, oh, that you could just get your feet on the heights of the mountain. If you could just sit your feet on the height of the mountain and you look down and man, that city looks so small. If you could just get your feet on the mountain of the attributes of God, the goodness of God, passion for God, longings for God, man, all the temptations of this life seem so small. How do you kill covetousness? How do you gain Christian contentment? It all hinges here. It all hinges here on desiring God. So here's what I want us to do. I want to close by reading to you slowly several verses that use this language desire longing yearning for God hunger for God I, I want to read several scriptures that do that and as I do that I want everybody here to do two things I'm just going to read them in closing and I want everybody here to do two things number one I want you to do self-examination what is the reigning affection of your heart? Don't think about someone else right now. Think about your own soul. This stuff is subtle. It creeps up on you. You look up and you're down the road somewhere and where are my affections right now? Are you watching over your heart? As I read these verses, I want you to do self-examination. What is the reigning affection of your heart? And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to recommit to, to provoking your soul, to a constant rhythm in life of provoking your soul to longings for Christ, to desire for God. Everybody that's been at a bonfire, you know that guy at the bonfire that's always poking the fire? He's always the guy that goes and gets more wood. Why? He's trying to keep the flame hot. And you're thankful for that guy. He just keeps poking the fire, keeps getting more wood, more wood. He's the guy that keeps the flame hot. Listen, the Christian walk is like that. That you read his word, you worship with the body of Christ, you go to him in prayer, you fight to see God and who he is and what he's like. And it's like fuel, you're just constantly dumping fuel onto the fire so that it keeps burning hot for Christ. That you desire him, you long for him. This is massively important. So I'm going to read these verses. And you do those two things. Self-examination. What is the reigning desire of your heart? Does there need to be conviction here? Does there need to be repentance here? And if, the, and if, there, and if, and if there needs to be repentance here, please repent. And then second, recommit to this. I'm going to be like that dude just keeps putting, keeps putting wood on the fire. This desire thing is really important. So let me close by reading these. 
Psalm 42, verse 1 says this. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Oh, Lord, give us soul thirst for you. Psalm 63. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Thirsty for you, Lord. I want more you. I long for you, Lord. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Like a man that hadn't had water in the desert. I'm thirsty for God. I want more of him. I want, I want nearness to him. Psalm 73. Remember, self-examination. Recommit to this. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. I desire you. My flesh and my heart may fail. I might lose it all. We're just saying that I might lose everything. I might lose it all. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the reigning affection. He's my portion. I desire Him. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. I pray for our church and I encourage you to do the same. Oh God, please never let us just become heady Christians, just intellectual Christians that have got no longing for Christ. Don't let our love grow cold. Psalm 119 Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts. It's that language of longing, desire. I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Psalm 119, 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. A man's in there panting over the commandments of God. I long for your commandments, Lord. I long for your word. Isaiah 26, oh God, do this in our hearts. In the path of your judgments, oh Lord, we wait for you. Your name and, the rem and, and remembrance, your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Not a desire of our soul, but the desire of our soul. The reigning affection of our life. It's you and your name and your glory. He goes on to say, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. I'm yearning for you, Lord. And maybe I can just last one mention Jesus' words. Blessed are those who hunger. Remember that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the warnings of your word and the encouragement of your word. And the, the direction and insight and wisdom, God, thank you so much. God, I pray that you, Lord God, would work through weak preaching and weak men. And you would encourage the saints, that you would, that you would convict us, God, uh, that you would grant us repentance. And Lord, especially this, this sin that you've warned us against of covetousness, Lord, God, I pray that you would kill it in us. God, help us to see the subtle temptations to it. God, I pray that the love of money, the desire to be rich, would have no place in this church. 
that you would kill it in our hearts, God. That we would despise it, Lord. God, I pray that you would do away with the love of the world and the love for the things of this world. God, don't let us move in this this slow downhill slope towards worldliness. God, please keep us from it. Please, God, keep us from it. We know this about our hearts, God, prone to wonder. God, we feel it, prone to leave. Oh, God, hold us. Hold us fast. Don't let us be worldly. Don't let us be covetous, Lord. God, I pray that you would fill us with a holy contentment. Let our eyes see, let our eyes be open to the glory of Christ and all that we as your people have in Christ and longing for more of Christ. Lord, please put that in us in a way that it kills covetousness. Lord, help us to say these things that we just read from an honest heart that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. That as the deer pants for the water, so our souls thirst for you, O God. Whom have we in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that we desire besides you. God, let these things be the the, the cries of our hearts, Lord, please. And God, we give you praise that we have every reason, every reason, God, to be full of worship and affections for you. God, you, you are everything. You're good. In your nature and in, in just your character and who you are, God, you are good. And the fact that you sent Christ Jesus, our Savior, to die for our covetousness, God. God, we give you praise. We have every reason to worship, every reason to be full of affections and passion for you. So, God, we ask you, please, to bring it about for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.